Sweet 16 is a podcast for members of Loud and Quiet, where musicians revisit that pivotal teenage year. They talk about where they were, what they remember, and how they took on the highs and lows of young adulthood. On this episode... Hello, this is Alex Cameron, and this is my Sweet 16. So when I was 16, I was living in Sydney, Australia, with my parents. At that point, my two older siblings had uh, moved out, in fact, left the country. They were much older than me. So when I was about 16, I actually finally got my own bedroom, which was downstairs, sort of almost like a basement situation. Living in, in Bondi, in, uh, in Sydney, it was developing into quite a friendly neighborhood, a quick walk to the beach. My school was also in the area. I didn't really have to leave my area all that much. And when I was around 16 was when I decided I wanted to be a drummer. Roy Malloy, he plays saxophone in, in the, the current setup live. He was my next door neighbor. But we started a rock band when I was 16. Roy played bass and I played drums. And, and I suppose that was the first sort of spark where I... I'd been waiting, you know, I'd been waiting for a moment to say, oh, okay, I can officially say I'm, I'm performing in a band. We would rehearse in my bedroom with the band, like three amps and a drum kit, and no one wanted to sing. So we would just play sort of instrumental rock music, kind of like you know, this weird sort of like surf rock, not like 60s style rock and roll. Yeah, I look back and I, I, I think we weren't, we weren't that good. We used to set up like a cassette stereo in the middle of the room and press record onto cassettes. So the recordings were always really fuzzy and and kind of distorted and the playing was quite bad. Just the songs were kind of aimless and meandering. But at the time, it was extremely exciting because, you know, just the idea of recording sounds and capturing ideas. We used to go and do band competitions there's a lot of nerves a lot of excitement at the time we were listening to to bands like the kinks but then also just like indie rock bands that were popular at the time people like the killers and franz ferdinand like major label indie rock and roll that might be a little bit of a, a paradox but alternative rock and roll but also listening to people like the rolling stones a lot we'd even sort of progress towards listening to like Australian classic stuff like Mental as Anything and Midnight Oil and certainly Cold Chisel and things like that it was you know we had this vision that we would sort of like try and get a record deal and try and make a living off doing it I can just remember a lot of nerves on stage like just so nervous I didn't know what a sound check was and we turned up and I set up the kit and they were putting microphones on the kit and I thought What's going on? I didn't know. And then I figured, okay, I guess they're amplifying it. And then the sound technician, when you're sound checking, will call out different instruments that they want to hear. You know, he starts with a kick drum. And I was like, sitting at the drum kit, like, yeah, got it. I thought he was just asking me if it was there. He was like, no, play it. And I, so I started playing the drum. He's like, no, just play the kick drum. It's like, okay. I hit it once and he was like, just do it over and over again. So then I slowly started to get the idea of what a sound check was. Didn't even 
know what the monitors on stage were for. I never, for the first year, I never asked for anything in my stage monitors because I just didn't know you were supposed to be able to hear yourself on stage. It was just like filled with nerves and like, let's just get through this performance. I remember I had a bit of a reputation for being a very relaxed person. People would always often say that I, you know, I kept my cool. My friends would say it and older kids would say it and sort of my brother's friends would say it. But I think I was actually like grappling with a lot like adrenaline and anxiety and I think that kind of made me be a little quiet. I got a job at Foot Locker and, and started working in retail. That was when I sort of had my first panic attack and I sort of like didn't know what it was. I thought I was having like a diabetic fit or something. It was like really, you know, you know if you've had a panic attack. Some people say, I'm not sure if I've had a panic attack. And I'm like, well, then you just haven't because you know when it's happening. You want to send yourself to hospital if you don't know what's happening. I think I was kind of known for being a little quiet. I had certainly was proud of my sense of humor i remember thinking i was pretty decent at making people laugh in conversation and whatnot i loved to drink i loved to have a beer if there was something going on at a party i wouldn't mind getting involved on some level you know not to go into specifics but love to have a beer on, on the weekends love listening to music and just fantasizing about how i was gonna with no connections and no background, how I was going to get myself a working job as a musician. Trying to find ways outside of just practicing and trying to get good at my instrument. Thinking about ways to do that. The job at Foot Locker I actually, I actually didn't really like. I probably worked there for a bit over a year. I didn't like my boss. He was this odd guy who had hired his mum and dad to work at the at the same place. So imagine like sort of a guy in his 30s managing Foot Locker and his probably early 70s parents wearing the Foot Locker referee jerseys. And he kept me off the payroll officially and would pay me cash at the beginning. But I remember my old man being like, do you even know what your wage is? He's kind of just giving you cash at the end of the shift you should get on the wage then you actually you know you can progress you can get bonuses and you can get your your rates can go up depending on how long you work there for so i remember really wanting to be on a wage and wanting to have a bank account and wanting to be like have the deposits i wanted to be official you know because it was a job i was working i was proud i didn't like pushing things on people the boss was quite sort of demanding either would get involved in a sale halfway through or would tell me to upsell like an old person. He once told me that like he'd figured out how much the pension was. So he knew on a certain day if an old person came in how much money they had to spend. And he'd be like, you got to upsell them because we could take that pension. And they'd just want some simple like white sneakers, no brand sneakers for like $70, $60, sometimes even cheaper, 35 and he'll be like, no, you've got to sell him the $230 sneaker. I was just very uncomfortable with it. So when I was 16, I had my learner's permit. And uh, my brother was in town and, and decided you know, that he was willing to help me learn how to drive. So we're driving my, my parents' two-seater Mitsubishi Mirage, which is a kind of small 
two-door little hatchback thing, I think you'd call it. And we were driving through a really expensive neighborhood. And because it's an expensive, exclusive neighborhood, a neighborhood called Four Clues, we'd gone for quite a drive. The streets were narrow and we'd gotten ourselves to a point where it was a dead end, basically on a hill. And he said, I want you to do a hill start U-turn, which in a manual car, stick shift. I was very unconfident, but he said, no, you should just try it anyway. I did it and completely lost control of the car and ended up on the wrong side of the road and clipped a car and then ended up going up the back of another car and taking our car onto like a embankment completely totaled the vehicle my little dog was in the back and he went flying through and hit the windshield it was like no one got hurt but it was like a heavy accident and uh i think i've still got whiplash from it to this day but that was like a real moment now i mean you get in a car with me you know i do as best i can to be a safe driver i mean i went on to get roy used to get me chauffeur work in sydney uh, every now and then and i went on sort of to pride myself as being able to give the passenger a really comfortable ride so when you see me driving though there's a couple of different things i do i'm always three car lengths behind the car in front of me if i see a red light of any kind a brake light or a light in the distance a stoplight I just, I don't brake, I just take my foot off the accelerator and I'll hover on the brake because I don't want to have to slam the brake on once we get up there. I'm prepared to stop, always. I love to keep my eye on the mirrors. I'm a very aware driver. I love to drive safe. I don't know why. It just excites me. When I was around that age, there was something in Sydney called the race riots. It was when a, a, a group of Anglo-Australian men decided that they didn't want people from the Middle East on the beaches. And I remember it being a Friday afternoon in school and somehow this sort of viral text message got sent around, got forwarded on from people till eventually it was like, you know, everyone in my high school had this text message, which was like, we're going to meet on Cronulla Beach and we're going to teach these whatever slur you want to put in there, these people, that it's our beach. And um, it was scary. Because then, like, shock jock, talkback radio host started to get on it and started to encourage people. This guy named Alan Jones, a sort of old-timey, out-of-touch talkback radio host. Alan Jones is alleged to have really sort of flamed the fire of, of that moment. It's a dark patch in Sydney's history and i remember walking around bondi with my brother at the time putting up posters just in like support of the of the victims you know like just trying to do anything we could to just show solidarity because it was ugly stuff it was just a, a time where maybe my first experience where i realized like what sort of racism in effect looked like you know beyond theory or opinion or belief this is what it actually looks like and it's really ugly we were always told in australia that sydney was a multicultural city australia was a multicultural country it was scary to see what sort of rhetoric used by people in the media could do to the general public a really like serious thing and and for a 16 year old yeah very like sort of formative 
the anxiety it gave me and the the sort of nausea and the discomfort uh, was enough to sort of know where I stood when it comes to that kind of thing. I played basketball extremely competitively from the age of 12 to 18. It was never going to be possible for me to be professional. I wasn't strong enough. I was tall enough, but I just didn't fill out. At the age of 16, 17, when everyone started getting their adult bodies, I just stayed thin. So I thought I'm going to have to get into rock and roll. It's like the only way I'm going to tour the world. Travel, because I loved it. The second one was probably movies. I was obsessed with, with just going to the movies as a hobby. 16 was probably the age where I discovered sort of the idea of the indie film or, or at least like things that weren't major Hollywood studio kind of productions. I remember going to the movies and seeing The Life Aquatic just sitting there. I probably smoked some weed. was there with my cousin who was my best friend at the time, still a dear friend of mine. And distinctly feeling like we discovered this world. You know, we were so used to like Hollywood action films that like all of a sudden there was this sort of surreal narrative movie that just delivered so confidently in its aesthetic and its performances. Yeah, it was just so charming. And then we left the movies thinking no one else knows about this stuff. You know what I mean? You know, Sydney, Australia empty cinema but little do we know it's like a cult hit everywhere else in the world obviously listening to a ton of music you know that was when i first started branching out into listening to artists like aphex twin and i mainly just became obsessed with aphex twin but all my friends were also listening to boards of canada and orteca but i just it was aphex twin for me but funnily enough in a from the other side of the spectrum probably 1251 by the strokes it just had it all for me just used to get me so excited about you know whether it was like making friends or, or falling in love or just that song 1251 was the reason i wanted to go out to house parties it inspired me to be social sweet 16 is a loud and quiet production Interviews by the Loud and Quiet editorial team, produced and edited by Stuart Stubbs and Greg Cochran. As a Loud and Quiet member, you can receive future episodes in this series by hitting subscribe wherever you're listening right now. <laughs>